Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning into Coffee, Cows, and Crops. In today's episode, we're chatting with Noreen Ambrose from Cows and Fish, and we're going to be talking about late season grazing through drought, how riparian areas fit into grazing systems, and that sort of stuff. Uh, but before we get into all that, Noreen, would you mind introducing yourself, uh, how you got started with Cows and Fish, and maybe what your favorite coffee or morning drink is? <laughs> Thanks, Joanna. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Um, my uh, name, as you said, is Noreen Ambrose, and I work for Cows and Fish, which is the Alberta Riparian Habitat Management Society. But you can understand why Cows and Fish is much more uh, palatable to say. <laughs> and um, our, our mandate is to basically help people understand what what these um, things are called riparian, these areas near water. And um, and my my role is really as the executive director is to you know speak about uh, riparian areas management and of course um, oversee our program. So um, thanks a lot for the opportunity to talk today about these topics. Yeah. And oh yeah, my favorite drink in the morning. Well, actually, I just drink water or sometimes milk. <laughs> so pretty un- <laughs> un- unexciting. <laughs> That's probably a cheaper way to way to go about things. <laughs> um. And just a little bit more on cows and fish. What's kind of your your mandate um, in the in the province and um, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, so uh, we do a lot of education and outreach, so presentations, workshops, field days, um, and our mandate is to help people, um, including agricultural producers, of course, a lot we work with um, on grazing management, on managing and using riparian areas, um, trying to help people sort of connect the how the landscape works or functions and how our management choices can influence that and so um and and you know being supporting good stewardship basically is is our 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 mandate and a lot of people are doing great stuff so we're also often learning from producers who are doing really great things and then able to share that with other folks that we work with so um really sharing that knowledge that expertise um, monitoring the health of riparian areas and and working with partners. We really want to work at the local community level and encourage producers to and and community groups, watershed groups, to really take the lead and take and have that real sense of ownership locally. That makes sense. So to get us started, how do you define what is and isn't a riparian area? Yeah, good question. I mean, it's really any area that's affected by extra water that's in a stream, a river, a lake, or a wetland, or even a seep or a spring. Um, and that extra water basically changes the soils and changes the plants. So um, it's that floodplain and shoreline area, the stream banks, um, where you have those changes. And it's a transition zone. So obviously, the stuff that's right at the edge of a water body is much more moist than as you get further away and transition into what we call the upland, which is no longer riparian. So it's not affected by that extra water. So um, looking for those clues of different kinds of plants and soils and, and obviously topographic change. So you're in a floodplain or you're on the shore, that, that's helpful to know you're in a riparian area too. All right. 
Um, are there different sort of classes of riparian area when it comes to management or are they all kind of similar when, when you want to manage them, like ephemeral draws versus streams or sloughs or lakes? Yeah, so really they're all riparian. Um, certainly how you might manage them might differ because of where they lie on your landscape um, or how long they hold water, like in terms of if you're using the water for livestock watering, obviously, then, you know, accessing them or using that water varies if they don't have water all year round. Um, the probably biggest thing that influences management is that if they're more ephemeral or temporary water bodies, they also probably dry up. Um, the riparian area dries up faster as it gets less soft and soggy, which is more typically in the spring. Um, so the soils harden off a bit or are become more firm footing sooner. And so, you know, in terms of when you can use them without causing that physical impact um, might happen sooner in those smaller drier, or if you were in a kind of uh, part of the province where you have a lot of sand or gravel and you don't have a lot of really soft compactable soils um, then likewise um, those that timing will vary a bit depending where you are right that makes sense so in years like this one when people are running out of grass or need more pasture or any of that sort of stuff um, what are the best practices for grazing riparian areas yeah, so in general, the practices are not different any time um, of the year or dry years and wet years. It's just good, good range management principles, which apply both to riparian and everywhere else, which is balancing supply and demand. So obviously making sure you're leaving carryover or litter, um, providing that adequate rest so they can, plants can recuperate and grow again to be grazed um, or not grazed either way. And um, of course, also ensuring you're providing um, thoughtful distribution. So the cows or horses or whatever you have, don't make all the decisions. They get to hang out kind of in their favorite areas, overusing some areas and underusing others. So trying to provide distribution that's suitable and avoiding vulnerable periods, which in riparian areas tends to be the spring, like I mentioned, when the soils are soft and kind of compactable and can be damaged physically, but also tends to be in uh, late season. So in drought year, that can actually happen in the middle of the summer, but it also happens obviously in the fall and winter when the leaves are maybe even gone off the willows or the other woody plants and the cows and other livestock seek out them because they have high protein content. Even if all the grass is gone or it's maybe not very palatable anymore or it's kind of weathered away, especially late season, it's, you know, some of the, some of the tame grasses aren't that palatable late season. Um, if uh, they haven't been grazed then they, the cattle are going to seek out palatability stuff, right? Stuff that's got more nutrients and tastes good. And that will often be your woody plants, which you want to keep in a riparian area normally. Right. That makes sense. And uh, just a quick review, what are the, the four principles of range management? Balanced supply and demand. So leaving, leaving adequate behind so there, you're not over above the carrying capacity. Mm -hmm. Adequate and effective rest good distribution and avoiding those vulnerable periods. Or if, you, if, you're, if you're out of balance, like in, in dry years, that means you might not follow those principles sometimes, right? You may have pushed the envelope a little harder than you would otherwise. That means you have to compensate for that in the future by adding more rest or changing your distribution or being extra careful so that those plants can recuperate so you don't lose long-term sustainability. Right, so in addition to the um avoiding the, the sensitive times of year and uh, keeping an eye on those woody plants. Are there other things that you need to keep in mind when you're utilizing riparian areas, when you're grazing close by streams or that sort of stuff? 
Yeah. Um, those principles that I talked about are, are kind of applied at whatever you do. So, um, you know, a lot of times people are these days are using offsite watering systems of various kinds for their livestock um, or repairing uh, fencing, whether it's it, to exclude them or to just control timing better. So really valuable in repairing areas is actually fencing like with like. So um, often our repairing areas are actually non-native plants. A lot of times our grasses are, you know, smooth brome, Kentucky bluegrass, Timothy, things like that. Um, and then you also have wooded areas like your willows and your aspen. Um, and then sometimes you've fenced that with a hillside or a forested area and or a grassland and they have really different timing needs. So fencing like location is important. Offsite watering location is important. Like the distribution aspect of water is use water to pull cattle away from whatever, in this case, maybe from the source water, get them to drink from the trough. But if you put right on the shoreline or on the bank, you're not really gaining that distribution value. So putting it further away is good. Um, the other thing that commonly happens um, is people think that cows need salt and water together, but they don't. In fact, they generally take them separately so they'll visit an area twice if you put them in the same place so using your salt or mineral and your water um, wherever that might be to distribute livestock and kind of think about where you want to draw them away to or away from is pretty pretty helpful um, the other thing you you that tweaked is the the summer rest so often people think i'll rest it during the winter um, and that's true of any pasture um, it's not really growing in the winter. It's not really healing in the winter. It's not recuperating and storing carbohydrate to grow again. So rest needs to happen when there's growing season. So it has to have some growing season rest. And in a drought, like we've been seeing, if it's not growing, it's not recuperating and building reserves for the next growth, right? So a drought isn't really, uh, if it's not growing, it's not effective rest either. Right, that's interesting. Um, so what kind of functions do riparian areas perform? Why, why is it important to, I guess, fence them out to, to manage them a little differently, that sort of stuff? Yeah, so from a livestock producer perspective, of course, one of the most important that a lot of people see is they're really, really productive. They produce a lot of forage and you want to maintain that forage long term into the future and keep being able to use it. So that's really important. They're usually, they can be two to 10 times more productive than the surrounding drier areas. So really just a really important forage resource. But the, the other things that they do are really important too: storing water, cleaning our waterways by filtering and trapping and buffering runoff as well as floodwaters storing and energy and dissipating energy so we see less erosion or wave action um, of course things like recharging our aquifers they, they hold water and that water then can go back into the channel for for use by livestock for fish for people downstream um, and of course that fish in addition to the animals on the land the wildlife and the birds um, that biological diversity is really high in riparian areas because they're a transition so they have lots of diverse things happening and um, so all of those are, are really important reasons in addition to recreation and fun and just they, they're nice places to hang out too. Definitely. Um, can you talk really quickly about um, some of the functions that riparian areas serve during floods? Because it's not something we're facing this year necessarily, um, but they do, they do have some important functions for flood years as well, don't they? So one of the functions I talked about was, you know, storage of water, of course, aquifer, recharging groundwater. And part of that happens because floods happen. So when 
streams, you know, overflow their banks or even, you know, wetlands get extra full or lake shores, um, that water has a chance to soak in. And that water is not only useful for the shallow aquifer, but sometimes parts of that are going into the deep aquifers, which is really important for, you know, we all drink water and we rely on water and, and cattle producers often are relying on a water body so they have livestock water. So the more we can have water storage long-term, um, especially in low flow periods, during droughts, even during the winter or dry you know, parts of the fall, when we don't have much rainfall and snow melt available, um, pretty important. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty controversial sometimes. Most people have a strong opinion about flooding and don't think it's a good thing, but it's actually integral to building those deep rich soils that then are really productive and store lots of water. And one of the ways that also that happens is through beavers. So a lot of producers in this last couple of years when we've had some real dry conditions have been really thankful they've had a, a beaver pond you know, behind a dam that that was one of the few places left with water. Um, so not only is there ponded water, but it it's recharges that groundwater so it can come back into the channel or into the, you know, the lake margin later, of course. So, um, we do also do a lot of work on beaver coexistence. So looking to address the challenges that beavers cause like flooding and damming and cutting things. And there's a lot of techniques coming out now about how to address those, but yet still gain the benefits that beavers provide. That makes sense. I remember in uh, one of my classes in college, we talked about riparian areas and how uh, with flooding and stuff, a lot of the problem with floods is that you end up with lots of water moving really fast. Um, and you can end up with lots of erosion and like knocking down trees and that sort of stuff. And they talked about how having like stands of willow or trees and stuff like that can help slow down that flood water so that you end up with less erosion and stuff. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, really, I mean, they cause friction, right? So plants basically get in the way of the water and the stuff that the water is moving rocks and soil and, and slow it down enough. So it just doesn't have the horsepower to hold on to all that material. Um, it drops the water, obviously the water gets to soak in, but so does all the other stuff it's moving. So, and, and willows are, you know, really common on the edges of riparian areas. Most of the time they're really bendy. <laughs> they can bend, bend over in those flood events and pop back up. Um, and uh, yeah, so they're, they're the natural rebar that is in those places and hold them together. And, you know, if you're on a lake or a wetland, then that's a little bit different. It's more like wave action and ice action, but it might be the cattails or the bulrushes that do some of those same things right at the water's edge. So for sure. Yeah. So I guess to go back to uh, we were talking about grazing and stuff. Um, can we talk specifically about late season grazing when the riparian area is dried off or you've just run out of pasture in, in other areas? What are some things to to think about when you're you're going in to graze that stuff? Yeah, so um, really looking for, again, what's you know appropriate stocking rate, just like you would in any pasture, of course, making sure you're trying to leave, leave carryover behind if it does get used heavier and there's not much carryover because late season use, you're not going to have regrowth that season, obviously, um, generally. So you got to allow for regrowth the next season in, in addition to leaving carryover, hopefully, or litter, um, so that you don't want to be reusing that late season pasture early the next year, generally, because it, of course, it won't have had a chance to regrow um, and recuperate. So you don't want to kind of hit it twice in close sequence without adequate rest in between. Um, the other thing I mentioned is that willows or woody plants is really looking at 
um, keeping woody plants because deep binding roots, whether it's a shoreline on a lake or a stream bank are you know, really a critical kind of physical integrity piece that most of our riparian areas should have and do have deep binding root plants like willows, for instance. So a couple of things to think about is, is that really timing and rest aspect that's going to be adequate later. That makes sense. Um, so on that note of, of what we're going to have to do for rest next year, um, when we do have to push riparian areas really hard along with the rest of our pastures uh, in a year like this, what are some things we can expect next year? Um, what are some other things we have to think about in terms of, of next year's grazing? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, a, a rough rule of thumb that applies to pastures generally, not just riparian, is that for every two weeks you can, or sorry, every week you can delay in the spring, you can gain two weeks of use later in the season because that sensitive period in the spring, all, all plants, all herbaceous plants need more time to get going, right? So they're tapping into their root reserves, their carbohydrates that they've stored in the roots to regrow in the spring because they don't have leaves collecting light and turning, you know, photosynthesis into new material. So if you can delay that spring use, you can really make it last longer the next year and improve the health and vigor of your plants. And um, so that's, that's one really thing to think about is, and if you did use it heavier um, and longer, maybe than you would have preferred and there's not a lot of carryover litter, you might be at more risk for winter kill if it's say a tame forage stand or something like that with alfalfa just if you don't have a lot of snow cover or you know so you, you want to maybe you might have to baby it a bit next year or do some additional feeding or look at again are they hanging out in favorite areas can you redistribute a bit better that makes sense and that's going to be true for all of your pastures of course but absolutely um so what's one thing that maybe isn't common knowledge uh about riparian areas or grazing in riparian areas that you wish more people knew about? So, so often people think that a riparian area is no longer riparian once it's dry and, um, or, you know, a wetland isn't a riparian area because it's like a little slough, but it's, you know, not really important, but um, you know, they might be dry on the surface, but that doesn't mean that the soils and plants haven't changed long-term. And so they're, they're still riparian. They just might not have a lot of water at the moment. Um, and there's, you know, they're still kind of requiring that little bit of extra attention in our management. And I think there's there's this sort of misconception that if you um, if you just put in a waterer or you just put up a fence, you'll have a healthy riparian area. And one of the things that we really want people to look at is more look at the overall management you have, all those principles I talked about, because it doesn't really matter what practice you do if you don't do it well, or vice versa, if you do almost all kinds of different practices can work if you do them well with those things in mind. So putting an offsite watering um, further back from the riparian area is probably one of the most valuable things people can do, even without fencing, because cattle tend to seek out the water trough even when there's no fence to prevent them from going in, so, which is a great you know, cost savings and allows more flexibility. So um, I think that's one thing I would say is just not, not thinking there's a prescription. There's not just one thing that's the solution it's more about how you apply your solutions or your practices and keeping that in mind right that makes sense okay so in uh, on that note of like management practices and and um, doing things well are there 
supports and programs available for producers who want to start doing some of this. Maybe they want to start some riparian fencing or they want to get some some pipe so they can move that offsite watering farther away from their from their riparian area. Uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah, there are actually a number of things happening, certainly in Alberta and, and various parts of Canada, that the CAP program, which is the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. So um, in Alberta, that's with through Alberta Agriculture. And basically, it's environmental stewardship funding cost share dollars. So producers can totally put in an application to do those kinds of projects you mentioned, like offsite watering and riparian fencing to to control livestock differently than they are now. So um, that's a really valuable one. A lot of the counties, um, there's over 20 in Alberta that have um, alternative land use service programs. So ALUS, A-L-U-S. So I you know, encourage people to check with their local county, their agricultural uh, fieldmen. Um, so that's, that, that support many of those similar kind of projects that include sometimes buffer um, revegetation um, areas as well, in addition to the actual grazing aspect. And then um, there's uh, also, of course, um, some of the funding we have right now, um, depending on the part of the province you're in, we're working with producers in lots of areas to um, help sort of cost share these kind of projects and provider advice and expertise on the, on the grazing side as well. Because you don't always have to put in a water or a fence. Sometimes it's timing changes or distribution changes as well um, that, that might be of interest. Okay. Um... I guess my last question is, uh, what are the top three things to remember when you are managing pastures that have riparian areas in them? I think the top three would be tune your eyes to what health looks like. So get to understand what healthy is. Um, and, and that will help you then obviously have a benchmark to work towards. Um, apply those principles that I talked about that are that are good for your pasture everywhere, really um, no matter what you're doing and be adaptive because what works at one point may no longer work or what we learn and find novel or new or modified ideas change. So um, be, you know, be adaptive and, and make, make those kind of changes. All right. Uh, before we sign off, are there any resources you'd like to mention or that would help people do that tuning their eye and that sort of stuff uh, or any projects from cows and fish you'd like to promote? Yeah, um, so definitely our website has lots of resources. Our flagship document, Caring for the Green Zone, Grazing Mat, which is repairing areas and grazing management. So lots of actual different kinds of timing and kind of ways of thinking about managing because there's different times of year and there's different strategies like repairing pastures, deferred rotation, different kinds of grazing strategies in there. Lots of real life case, case studies. Um, our website and YouTube channel have tons of videos and webinars recorded on these topics. Uh, we actually are just in a beta testing of a riparian health assessment app. So in addition to the paper documents, you can download off our website. We will have an app so producers can go and kind of try to assess the health of their own riparian areas. Um, and in the, in the meantime, although winter is approaching, I would really encourage producers to reach out to, um, in either individually or as a part of community, we do offer field days, like a pasture walks, workshops, all those kinds of things. And we basically go where we're invited. So if you and your listeners and their neighbors want to have us come out to their area, we, that, we'd love to do that. And, um, I also, we do actually monitor repairing health for landowners and communities that we're working with. So um, that's an option as well. And that gives producers an individual report back about their place, what we've found and suggested ideas that 
they might want to incorporate, um, including weeds and bare ground and grazing timing, all kinds of good stuff that you might want to think about. There's lots of other super resources out there too. And, you know, for your organization, Peace Country Beef and Forage Association, other associations, depending on the part of the province you're in, the BCRC, Beef Cattle Research Council of Canada, has a lot of good research. And for those people grazing on public land, they should look at the public land guidelines um, because there are some really good best management practices for that as well. So, um, yeah, there's lo lots of lots of resources out there for people that want to want to look into them. And of course, they can just call or email us. Awesome. And I will put. Uh... The info, all of that info uh, down in the description of the podcast. So you'll be able to find the, find the cows and fish website, all of that good stuff. Um, thank you very much for coming on. I think this is, I think this is good. It's an important thing to talk about even in drought years. So yeah, well, the drought means that often the riparian is that last place that they have available forage, even if they've been saving it, it's more productive um, and it is sometimes that safety valve, right? It's that ex that place that, you know, in dry years you can turn to and get, you know, get more from still. For sure. All right. Have a great afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!